Untitled Beatles podcast. Previous. Should we, should we do one of those oh, at the top of this? Yeah. Yeah. Previously on the Untitled Beatles podcast. Yeah, so I'm saying Attica State's John's best song. No, it's Sisters Oh Sisters, clearly. We can at least agree that Sometime in New York City is the best solo Beatles album. Agreed. Now, this week's <laughs> Untitled Beatles... I've always... I, one of the reasons I love 70s and 80s sitcoms is when they would do a two-parter and you would often go to the to-be-continued with no laugh track, I'd always get a chill. Whether it was Mr. Carlson on different strokes trying to fuck a kid in a van. Remember when he... That, oh, that killed me because I was already a WKRP fan when Gordon Jump was on different strokes as the bike salesman. Right. And he tried to get Dudley and Arnold in his van, and that was right. like a weird to be continued. Oh. Like, Mr. Carlson wouldn't hurt anybody. Right. Do you remember the Nancy Reagan episode, too, on Different Strokes, where they, she came to class and asked people if they had done drugs, and Robbie raised his hand that he did cocaine? <laughs> <laughs> he was like eight. I'm like, holy shit. I guess New York City is rough, man. <laughs> thank God Giuliani came to clean it up. Oh, um, yeah. Thank the Lord for that. Fuck, fuck that guy. <laughs> he literally speaks in tongues at this point. Oh, man. Yeah, um, he's totally Pentecostal. <laughs> it Pentecost him his sanity. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's another great song. Yoko's O Sanity. Yep. Tony, yep. it's only sane to be insane. A psychotic <laughs> builds a castle. That song has... Well, one day we should just do Double Fantasy and Milk and Honey. Yeah. Because those Yoko songs were like my first real-time exposure to Yoko. So the, when I think Yoko, I think, you're a beautiful boy with all your beautiful tunes. I think of that. And I think of O Sanity from Milk and Honey. But let's get we when we left off last week, you and I didn't intend to do a two parter. But this John Lennon anthology box set from '98 is so thick and so rich. We actually said let's let's do every song because each song's so important. It's the the beauty of John Lennon's solo career is he has the least amount of output, right? Yeah, it seems because of how you know he he died so young. Uh, so it's worth it to go through everything because it's all we have. Yeah. It is all we have, and thank God. I got a chill when I said that. I'm sorry. Yeah. But yeah, I'm so glad that they put this out in 98. This is the John Lennon four-disc anthology. Uh, the previous uh, episode, we covered discs one and two, and tonight, or today, depending on how you listen, this will be discs three and four. People listen to this shit in the middle of the night when they're getting <laughs> crunked and rocking out their Beatles. Yeah. I heard a lot of people make love to our podcast, TJ. I do. A lot of people. <laughs> Right well, now. Yeah, right now. I've looked <laughs> at the I? numbers. Our listeners in Finland and our, our listeners in uh, the UK and the Netherlands, they're all fucking right now. I've looked at our numbers, <laughs> dog, and it's 69. Know what I mean? Because I'm fucking. What are we talking about? I'm sorry. There are kids who listen to this, not mine. I don't think so. We, 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 we swear like sailors, man. Uh, do, we, uh, do we? A little bit. Hey, sailor. We earned that E. <laughs> We, we earned that E. So did Easy E. R.I.P. Easy E. <laughs> yeah, man. Um, <laughs> Where do we go from there? They you know, N.W.A. did sing "Fuck the Police," and while yeah. I'm not going to come out and I don't want to get political, I just want to say I love that N.W.A. record. Yeah, man. Yeah, yeah, man. Uh, well, speaking of number 69 dream, uh, we get into, uh, <laughs> walls and bridges, I believe this. So disc three is entitled the lost weekend, right? Mm -hmm. Which wasn't a weekend. That's what we all call it. But it was, how long was it? It was like a year and a half, maybe something like About that. A year and a half. I think. Yeah. 
So Lennon was out in the Los Angeles area. We I seem to th- think it's Santa Monica for some reason. I should yeah, we talked last that. week. Just listen to Cheryl Crow. All he <laughs> right. wanted to do was have some fun. John and the girls and Harry Nielsen. Harry Nielsen? I never yeah. know how to say his last name. I think a lot of Harry people say Nielsen. Yeah, I think a lot of people say Nielsen. He's got two S's. He spells it very Scandinavian. Um, yeah, he was hanging out with 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 Harry N- Nielsen. Nielsen. He was hanging out with Keith Moon. Ringo. Uh, basically getting loaded and uh, yeah, being a. A 30-something teenager. Yeah, going back to his Hamburg days almost. The first, because he went right from Cynthia to Yoko, even though he had May Pang in L.A., May right. Pang wasn't his wife. It was his first time single since, what, 64? Well, he was with Cynthia before 64, right? But, I mean, what, what, were they married in 64 or 65? I don't remember when, they, when John and Cynthia were married. It was definitely when they came to America. I think he was already married, right? Because they were keeping yeah, that under right. wraps, right? Wasn't that the deal? They right. asked him about his wife, and he and he did a, does a thing where he's like, who, 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 and looks right. around. There's a, a press conference that gets giggles. You're right about yeah. that. And it's real awkward in retrospect. Yeah. Yeah. So, I, I, you know, they were like, I felt like they were kind of like, you know, art school sweethearts or whatever. Yeah. Um, and, of course, he was never faithful you know, really, I mean, maybe early on, but once they were big and touring and this and that, I don't think any of them were really particularly faithful. Ringo was faithful, right? Ringo seems like the kind of guy who didn't have extracurriculars. Who knows, man? I doubt it. When you're growing up, growing up in the dingle. <laughs> First I heard the word dingle. I think I, I knew what the dingle was before I heard the word dingleberry. And dingleberry made me laugh, not for the same reason it makes other people laugh, because Ugh. I kept thinking about Ringo's childhood. <laughs> Remember that BBC soap opera? BBC Four presents Ringo's childhood. Well, I'm in the dingle. I'm going to be an hairdresser. I, I don't do Ringo Oh, that's right. I forgot well. about the hairdressing bit. Yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. When the Beatles were over, he was going to start styling hair. Yeah, man. That's good stuff. <laughs> well, it, uh, let's get into it, right? So we've, yeah. we went track by track. We're going to keep doing it. And uh, thanks for hanging out with us for these uh, these deep dishes. We love it. Wait, this is deep dish beetle talk. We're from fucking <laughs> Chicago. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, yeah, d- re- real good deep dish like a fucking Papa John, like Papa John's or uh, <laughs> yeah, Garibaldi's. I used to go to Garibaldi's all the time. It's right by the arcade. Um, so the, the <laughs> first track on this on disc three, the Lost Weekend. It's a song that is super produced on Walls and Bridges, and I've always preferred this version because it's a quiet little acoustic demo of you don't know what you got till you lose it that shows John, even though he rips through the vocal on Walls and Bridges, on this one, just acoustic, he actually sounds more sad. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's really, it's a, it's a telling moment and it's, it's, it's brief. So again, it's a little snippet. You just get a little, a little taste of it, but yeah, it's, it's the sadness that's underlying in the all out screaming in the, on the studio version. Yeah. Which has horns. I know you love the horns. Uh, and it's got that, that kind of four in the bar kind of cowbell, just kind of a groover. So I this was one when I first heard the set, I distinctly remember being really moved by because all I knew was that kind of fast up-tempo one from Walls and Bridges. Yeah. The big SNL New York version of it. Uh, yeah. This version gives you the, what it's, where it came from, which is sadness and loneliness and yeah. you don't know what you got till you lose it. 
which is which is a theme of Walls and Bridges, which, you know, in many respects, I've that album's grown on me. Mind Games has kind of stayed the same, but Walls and Bridges and there's a 2004 or 2005 remix that Yoko authorized hmm. in the early 2000s they, they remixed all the John Lennon catalog. And never streaming, but it was on like the last CD issues before the 2010 remasters, the original mixes. But it gave Walls and Bridges and Rock and Roll better definition than I'd ever heard before. So that's one to seek out as well. The remix Walls and Bridges and the remixed uh, Rock and Roll. No, that's good to know. I I did not know that. I did not know that. (laughs) Doing my uh, unintentional Johnny Carson again. I did not know that. <laughs> yeah, it's good, and it's a great little opener. I think it's great. Then, yeah, then it goes into a studio outtake of uh, the song that he wrote with Sinatra in mind, which was Nobody Loves You When You're Down and Out, which, mm. to me, I, I always thought this was a cover. You know what I mean? Yeah. It sounds it's, it's like a, a standard. It sounds like it. Well, it's the, the beauty of John Lennon is he wrote a song for Sinatra as if it was a song written for Sinatra in the glory days. This song's always driven me a little crazy. This one... Uh, and this version too is so much slower than the album track. I think than the than the one on the record. It does drag a little. The, yeah, this is not one that I particularly need. This is Sad John, and there's other ways to hear. Sa- My Sad John is Julia. I don't need nobody loves you when you're down and out. That's true. Yeah, I mean, if I have to pick, yeah, Julia is in my, it might even be in my top 10 Beatles. I love that song. So, yeah. Ooh, oh, yeah. I smell a theme. <laughs> yeah, we already <laughs> did our bottoms. We should probably do our tops at some point. I don't like the band. I'm doing this for the money. Oh, <laughs> fuck. <laughs> Somebody was like, pretend like you're a Beatle fan. They'll make a ton of money. <laughs> pretend. Yeah. Yeah. No, we're de- we're we're kind of we're into like Hanson and uh, Third Eye Blind. Um, Dishwalla is a band that these are the kind of bands that we truly like. Dude, uh, my Dishwalla is made by Bosch. It's pretty good quality. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, right. so okay, John Lennon, another home piece. Uh, whatever gets you through the night. This is another quiet uh, guitar demo. Of what later became uh, like a bombastic kind of a song. And I, I believe John Lennon's first solo number one song was Whatever Gets You Through the Night that he thought was he he called it a novelty song. <laughs> did he co-write it with Elton or did Elton just play and sing on it? I can't remember if, if Elton gets a, a co-writer credit. Let's check. Let's check the book. I don't think they give writing credits on the damn book is the problem. Uh, I really don't think uh, Elton got any writing credit on this. As far as I know, there was a bet placed about whether this would be a number one, John thinking no, Elton thinking yes. And you're totally right. It's just composed by John Lennon. There's no credit for Elton. But Elton's playing piano on it and doing backup vocals. And then, of course, something I'm surprised they left off this set, too, are the three songs John and Elton played together with Elton's band at Madison Square Garden. Right, right. In, I think, Thanksgiving of 74? Yeah, but Elton released those under his name, right? He did. And in fact, for years and years, if you bought the original MCA single of Philadelphia Freedom, the B-side was uh, I saw her standing there with John and Elton. I mean, what a weird. Yeah. What a weird thing that like maybe a non Beatle fan who loved Elton John in the mid 70s had one of the very last time John played live as a B-side. Yeah. It's wild. Yeah, that is wild. Yeah, I, I would think it has something to do with it being Elton John's name that it's not on this. They would have had to do some legal thing is my theory on why it's not included. Well, 
it, it's like EMI couldn't put Bernard Prudy's name on all the original <laughs> Beatles records, even though he overdubbed all the Ringo's drums. <laughs> I love Bernard Prudy. Have you seen that that, that Steely Dan guy? Are you a Steely Dan guy? Where are you with the, with the Dan? Are you yes or no for Steely Dan? I ironically enjoy them. I've always referred to them as air-conditioned rock. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's very, very delicate rock and roll. And those lyrics, they're weird dudes, man. They're the, those inscrutable lyrics that always seem a little pervy and a little, I don't know, there's something dark going on with those guys. In like every one of their songs, they, they are, they're one of my, they're on my top five bands list of all time. I, I love Steely Dan. <laughs> it's, it's, it's very weird. Uh, there's a great documentary on Steely Dan, the making of Asia, the Asia album, which is not my favorite Steely Dan. My favorite Steely Dan album is actually Katie Lied. Um, but the making of Asia, it's got Bernard Prudy being interviewed and he starts listing everyone he's worked with. And he goes, Frank Sinatra, Billy Holiday. It just, Bernard Prudy just kind of bragging. Dusty Springfield. Can you dig it? No. Russ Conway. And then he goes, What's what they wanted was a shuffle, but not a regular shuffle. They wanted the Purdy shuffle. So I gave him ooh. Ah, ah, ooh, 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 ooh. It's just this great. It's like Purdy five shuffle. magic minutes of the Purdy shuffle. It's it's amazing. You can get into a YouTube rabbit hole with the Purdy shuffle. And the curly shuffle. Remember that <laughs> novelty song? Wise guy, huh? And then, of course, the icky shuffle, which we'll never forget the icky shuffle. If you're a Cincinnati, that's for all you Cincinnati. If you're, if you're a Bengals, Bengals fan, fans. if you like, if you like icky woods, um, and who doesn't, by the way? A uh, little, a little Bernard Prudy trivia before we move on. He was the drummer on the 2009 revival cast recording of Hair. Are you serious? I don't know why I know it, but I do. And that's why I'm going to be homeless in a week. <laughs> well, whatever gets you through the night. Uh, I love this song. I get that it's a novelty. It, it was Lennon's first solo number one, and he was the last Beatle to achieve a number one record. Yeah. Which I Crazy. find insane, right? And it's when you think that Imagine and Instant Karma and Mind Games didn't go to number one, those are some of the most incredible solo Beatles songs ever released. You know how I feel about Instant Karma. Yeah, how did Imagine? I, I don't know. I think we have to look at the charts. I think the charts in the early 70s were just weird. And as popular as John was, you know, John, like at Paul, even when Paul was experimental, McCartney and then Ram and then Wildlife, that first Wings album, the singles in between were like another day and then later sea moon and stuff whereas john yeah uh, oh, 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 i could hear the keyboard i play right now um <laughs> uh you know john was still doing like sometime in new york city which broke up uh stuff and and the plastic ono band was weirdly received so then came imagine and then came sometime in new york city and then came mine so john was all over the map i, I don't say this to be critical but from a a record buying standpoint you didn't know what John Lennon you were going to get at any given time, whereas Paul, George, and yeah, Ringo were giving you the same Beatle-loving stuff that they always gave you. John was doing different things. I think that explains the lack of chart success. Yeah, that checks out. That checks yeah. out. 
Well, then, and then you do get a, an actual outtake from the studio uh, with a really funny count-in, you know? Uh-huh. Right? He does, like, a whole note count-in. So, like, this song is, what, it's like 120 beats per minute, something like that, maybe more. But John's count-in is something like, one, two, <laughs> three. <laughs> Going into this, you know? It's cuckoo. It's really funny. It's very funny, yeah. But there's no sax on this version, so you must love this version, TJ. I do. I don't hate all sax. I hate, uh, what's it? Uh, Bur- Bobby Bernie Keys? Bernstein. Oh. No, the, who's the guy in the, uh, I like Bobby Keys. Yeah, okay. Who's the, who, who's the guy in Sometime in New York City? Like, yeah. He, like, he's named after a rabbi, like Bill Bernstein. It's something like that. It is a rabbi. Jo- <laughs> That's part of the problem. Put your saxophone down and read the scripture, guy. One. Two, three, four. Whatever gets you through the night. Get that sex out of your mouth. No, I like, I love Elephant's Memory. As you know, that's where we differ, TJ. I know. (laughs) Uh, Then there's an outtake from the Whatever Gets You Through the Night sessions that turns into a parody of Paul's most popular song, Yesterday. Which is neither funny nor, I mean, it serves no, it's like a 30 second track. Yeah. Where suddenly I'm not half the many who speaks. I had an appendectomy. Oh, spoilers. I just blew the Yesterday parody you can't download. Amputee, amputee, right? Sorry, yeah, appendectomy. Yeah, it's (laughs) that's what I meant. It reads like remember those books, truly tasteless jokes. Uh huh. I do. It's one of those, you know, what's grosser than gross and all that stuff. It's John being like, how (laughs) can I write a parody for Cracked Magazine but less funny? (laughs) (laughs) He gave them Spaniard in the Works uh, as a writing (laughs) sample. Uh, so yeah, it's that it deserves about that much attention. We're we're about to head into the meat of what makes this is the part of the collection. There's a couple songs coming up, and then a few in a little bit that are the ones I fell in love with when this thing came out. And it is the Phil Spector light rock and roll covers without all the overproduction. Exactly. This is how I want to hear Bebopalula. And the following song, the the little Richard Medley of Rip It Up and Ready Teddy, yeah. is among my favorite John Lennon things ever committed to record. I adore these two back to back because it's so overdone on the rock and roll album. Here, these feel like straight ahead 50s rock. So, yeah, this is the record that John Lennon wanted to put out. These two songs like this. These were both, if you check the liner notes, they actually say produced by John Lennon on that. On them. So this is before Phil, right? This is John doing rock and roll before Phil came in. Yeah. Be, uh, I forget how it happened, but Phil got in some car wreck or however it worked, and they came back to rock and roll later, which is more of a mess as we'll yeah. get into. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's a shame that these are the only two slash three songs we get. Uh La with the Rip It Up Ready Teddy medley, if you want to call it that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they're fun. They're great. 
I, I wish they would put out, you know, a non-Spectre rock and roll record. Well, that's the, uh, I, with all due respect to Phil Spector, we've already had Let It Be Naked. And the two things I think most Beatle fans are clamoring for to be kind of unmixed or, or demixed would be a Phil Spector less All Things Must Pass and a Phil Spector less rock and roll. At least those are on the top of my list. I mean, it is funny how much in the, you know, you can talk about cancel culture all you want. Yeah. He's a convicted murderer, if I'm not mistaken. Right. <laughs> there's that. He's yeah. doing time. Yeah. There's that. There's that. <laughs> I love the artist, but I don't love the man. <laughs> <laughs> it's why I'm a Trump but, fan. You know, he's just done enough. <laughs> no, but it's funny. Like there is a way, like we are actually trying to cancel his art with some of this, his, 70s output let's say like after river deep mountain high basically uh, i still like the phil specter christmas record i like the way that sounds like whatever he was oh, doing it's great in the 60s and stuff i think that worked but and actually I, I loved seeing him in the imagine you know give me some truth that uh dvd doc it's great it's funny it's funny you know if you because it's before he murdered someone, so it's still he's still funny, well, and that's why I can still watch Naked Gun. <laughs> right, right, right. With OJ is what you're getting <laughs> I try at. Yeah. To close my eyes and no, didn't Leslie Nielsen kill those women? <laughs> <laughs> no, turns out it was it was OJ. <laughs> oh God, I know what the fuck. Anyway, so <laughs> so yeah, there's that. Uh, he'll, Phil Spector will return, but he hasn't arrived yet. Actually, these were produced by John Lennon. That's correct. I won't do. I won't do. Th- well, it's Saturday night, and I just got paid. Pull up by morning, don't try to save. My heart says go, go, have a time, 'cause it's Saturday night, and baby, I'm feeling fine. I'm gonna rip it up. Uh, next up is another Walls and Bridges track, uh, two in fact, Scared and Stealing Glass. What are your thoughts on these versions? You know what, man? I don't have a lot of thoughts on them. Uh, I have four songs in a row here, and I just, my notes were outtakes, 74. Um, yeah, I don't know. They don't they don't do much for me. I, you know what? I Here's what I like about all these tracks is the actually the chatter you hear before and after the songs start. Uh, mm-hmm. Scared, stealing glass, surprise, surprise, and bless you. Um, am I wrong? Is, is surprise, surprise, and bless you? Are they not on? I don't know Walls and Bridges that well. It's actually not a record I listen to that much. They are on Walls and Bridges, as is um, Going Down on Love, which opens Walls and Bridges oh, right, in right. a very kind of seventies. You know, this is that era where in Thirty Three and a Third by George Harrison's like this too, where they kind of wanted to be Smokey Robinson for a little while. Oh, right. And and I, I mean, I think it's cool. It's just not. It's not always my thing. And is I don't mean to be a hypocrite because I talked about not loving a lot of the production on Walls and Bridges. Uh, but on that remix CD, these are songs I actually love a little more ornamented. I feel like here they're kind of a dull sagging point on this album because they're not the strongest songs. Yeah. They require the production. Bless You just feels like... Bless you. Always felt like it was at, uh, recorded at a resort in Arizona in 1970. <laughs> it just had that kind of like, yeah, weird, like, yeah, man, yeah.
Uh, steel and glass I love because that's about Alan Klein and that's a big old fuck you and maybe I, as a Jew I should be offended I'm not maybe vaguely anti-Semitic you know your New York walk or your New York talk kind of has anti-Semitic overtones it could. I don't know if I'm reaching or not but maybe it does it could yeah I mean yeah it's hard to separate is he talking about the man you know and he just happens to have those characteristics or whatever you know it's hard yeah, to say. I, 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 not as overdone as Baby, You're a Rich F.A.G. Jew, which people thought he was seeing in Baby, You're a Rich Man. You remember that rumor? Right. Oh, I'm so sorry. Yeah, last Singing week. Singing about Brian? Last week. Yeah, got it. Got it. Last week, I think in my head, I've always heard F.A.T. fat, which doesn't make sense because Brian Epstein was not overweight. Well, at the end, it was bad. <laughs> No idea. <laughs> yeah, he went through the eldest. I, that Brian Epstein was eating all that fucking Chicago deep dish. <laughs> Listen to Cheryl fucking Crow in 66. <laughs> yeah, Cheryl Crow opened for the Beatles. Actually, she opened for uh, Sounds Unlimited, who then opened for the Beatles <laughs> at the Allstate Arena back then. <laughs> anyway, uh, I... I I don't think much of these tracks. Here's the a bit I wrote down because I like it. Uh, going into Bless You, uh, Lennon's kind of complaining about how often they have to change the reels. Mm-hmm. And it's because they're they're rolling at 30 IPS uh, as opposed to 15 IPS, or, right? I think, yeah. So it's it's higher fidelity. And he says, oh, so we can get the hiss clearer. <laughs> it's pretty funny. And he kind of laughs when he's saying it, too, like he knows it's funny. Yeah. That's a great point because one of the things I love on going uh, uh, going down on love is he's giving instructions to the. I mean, it's kind of a yeah. He's it, working. It's him directing the band. He lets him know he doesn't want too much busy stuff. He it's 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 cool to hear him music direct the song he wrote. Yeah. No. That that's I think that's my my biggest takeaway actually from all these is I like I like hearing him work. You know, on these songs that I could give or take, they're not my favorite. Right. Yeah, I like stealing glass. All right. I yeah yeah. I'll just leave it at that. If you have anything else to say, I, I don't. I will say the next track has a fascinating history. While it's not the same version, the next track is called "Move Over, Mrs. L." Right. And this was the B side to "Stand By Me" in '75. Right. It was. It was not on any John Lennon album until Capital got a hold of the Geffen release, the John Lennon collection in 1989. And this song was issued as a B, excuse me, not a B side as a bonus track on the capital pressing of the John Lennon collection. Cause in <laughs> 1982, two years after John Lennon's death, John had released uh, double fantasy on Geffen records owned by David Geffen at the time, the two of the biggest records of the eighties, double fantasy, John's comeback and the Broadway cast album of cats were both on, which I don't like it. You don't like it. Sold a lot of copies. Also, I'm the rum tum tugger (laughs) for different reasons. Hey, you better look out. I'm going to tug on your tum. Have you seen cats? I have not. Uh, I, my parents took me to see cats at the Schubert, I think in 85 or whatever. And even then I was like a musical theater guy and I hated it. Everyone kind (laughs) of, you could smell the makeup and the costumes and they're prancing around. Like they come attack you. Right. I I, I think seeing cats was my me too moment in (laughs) 85 at the Schubert. I heard you're still in therapy about it. Oh, I am. But some of that's because of the meal I had at Italian village right beforehand. Oh, was I full. They have 18 uh, dining rooms. Um, I like Italian village. 
I do too. Wood. Oh, this must be a good restaurant. A steak is forty two dollars. Okay, <laughs> with the little <laughs> lights on the walls and stuff. Yeah, I, I I love it there. That was like a tradition. We go see shows and and go there too. But um, so move over, Mrs. L is it is a rocking fifties esque type John Lennon song uh, that was not even on CD till 1989 and languished as a B-side to stand by me from 75 on. So as we look for like, what are obscure Beatles, solo Beatles tracks? This one is a pretty obscure solo John Lennon track. Yeah. And I love it. Yeah. It's the, uh, 20 gallons of rubbing alcohol, <laughs> Nirvana B-side <laughs> of John Lennon. <laughs> only on Sub Pop. <laughs> right, Sub Pop only. Blue vinyl, 500 copies. <laughs> Limited. Oh, God, it's only signed by Kurt Novoselich. I paid $1,000 for this. <laughs> Kurt Novoselich. <laughs> Chris Novoselich. Anyway, anyway. Uh, idiot. Chris Cobain. Kurt yeah. Novoselich. It was Chris Cobain. And 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 Pap Smear. <laughs> uh, but so it's great to hear him do like a Chuck Berry type song while his mind is on these rock and roll covers and that he started, then wound up going back to. It's cool hearing him do an original song that feels so influenced by Chuck Berry that he sings so passionately. It's 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 to me it's a great Lennon track that nobody's heard. It's cool, man. It's totally yeah. cool. Uh then we have a, a vignette between uh John Lennon and Nikki Hopkins on piano and they're goofing on uh Ain't She Sweet. With Nikki Hopkins doing that barrel house kind of show tuny piano that just proved what a genius he was. He could play anything. Yeah. I mean he he could play the sparse emotional solo on Loving Cup and he can do this kind of cheese ball uh jazzy 20 stuff and of course ain't she sweet the first song john lennon sang on on record with the Be the beatles backing up tony sheridan that's right that's right yeah now we talked about nick nicky hopkins last week and we were kind of like why didn't he have a band you know because he was a session guy he's a piano player he played with the who the beatles uh, i should say solo beatles and uh the kinks the stones i left out the big one uh, but it's like, oh, he was a session guy and so was Jimmy Page and Jimmy Page went off and did Led Zeppelin. Why didn't Nicky Hopkins, where was his band? And he did release a couple of solo albums, but it was his health. I guess he had Crohn's disease, you know, this is back in the mid sixties and yeah, that's why he, I think why he was so thin and why he looks so kind of emaciated all the time. But I, I think it was his health that kept him from perhaps rising to, uh, higher status in the rock world and yeah. kept him kind of in the shadows as a session dude. I, uh, I did not know that about his health cause it, it, it's so weird cause he's so good and so prolific and you corrected yourself when you, when you say play for the Beatles, I'm pretty sure he, he's doing that. Uh, the keyboards in revolution. I think that is Nicky Hopkins. Oh, is that right? I, I, yeah, I think so. Okay, cool. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Mark Lewison. Well, I mean, I'm still working on volumes two and three. Volume two of the Beatles story will be out in 2029. Volume three after I'm dead. I'm Mark Lewison. You know, he had a falling out, which I didn't, uh, which I never knew. He, he had a big falling out with the Beatles and their estate after recording sessions where, well, I'm not going to remember the story right, but I guess Lewison sent, uh, had somebody archive the tapes that he heard, then the tapes got out. Oh. We should deep dive this at some yeah. point, but there's yeah. a reason why, like 
you know, because he's got all the liner notes on Past Masters. The only two CDs when the Beatles CDs came out in 87 and 88 that had updated notes. And this killed me. Even as a 13-year-old, I was pissed. Because for everything but Sgt. Pepper and Past Masters, which was new, they just did black and white inserts from the back covers of the Beatles records. So those early Beatles CDs were just a blank pamphlet with some shitty pictures and the track listings. Right. But Sergeant Pepper, because it was the 20th, had a huge um, uh, new essay. Uh, I think yeah. George Martin. And then the the past master CDs, Kevin, uh, not Kevin Holiday's doing them now. Um, Mark Lewison did all the notes for all those. And they just, then he had the book, the, at the time, indispensable recording yeah, sessions I book. right there. And then he kind of... And as much as he is writing the definitive stuff, he's not as embedded with the the Beatles as an entity as I think he was in the 80s and 90s. Interesting, man. Yeah, we'll yeah. have to let's dig in on him sometime. Yeah. Um, until then, we will continue with disc three. Uh, we're getting into some of the rock and roll. Here we go. <laughs> Here we go. So we now we have a couple tracks that lead off side two of the rock and roll album in different versions that I think are cleaner and better and less produced than the rock and roll album and certainly less muddy, Slippin' and Slidin' and Peggy Sue. Now, uh, Slippin' and Slidin', great fun tune, but Peggy Sue has always had like a, a meaningful Beatles thing to me because of how much they loved Buddy Holly. Yeah. And this is like an this is an authentic cool energetic version of it i think peggy sue was almost released as a follow-up single after stand by me but wasn't hmm. i think it might have been uh planned and then recalled when stand by me didn't set the charts on fire in 75 um but it's just cool hearing john do a buddy holly song especially post the death of john lennon just always kind of hit me emotionally yeah i've always liked this song it's a great song uh, I've always loved pretty, 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 <laughs> pretty, pretty, pretty. <laughs> it's a great vocal warm up. Yeah. Pretty pookie, peaky, pepple, pooty, pooty, peaty. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's what, that, that should be zip, zap, zap. That's, but it, improv's dead. So what, what happened? Was there a fire at that Mexican restaurant at second city? <laughs> I mean, that's... I just haven't, I don't know what's going on. I hear, I heard they're on ships now. Um, <laughs> So, yeah, it's, I, I've, I've always loved these two. And again, on rock and roll, if you hear the I, I will say this for the last time, Tony, but if you hear the original CD issue or even the 2010 remaster, it's just a big pile of mud. That Yoko approved remix from, I want to say, 04 or 05 is revelatory, revelatory. And I'm not even sure what that word means. I've said it twice <laughs> to prove, you know, that I care. It's no, I know it. It's a relevatory is an elevator that you know you use it twice. You reuse, oh, right. yeah. It's like re elevator. Remember that loving a revelatory, <laughs> going up twice and I hit the ground. Fuck Aerosmith and fuck '90s Aerosmith. So yeah, those the, those are great fun songs. And next up, we have uh, another kind of medley. Uh, Sam Cook medley, bring it on home to me and send me some loving. Yeah, uh, we we talked uh, about bring it on home to me uh, briefly last week. Uh, how it's uh, it ended up in that song. Remember, right? Yeah. If you ever change your mind about leaving me behind. Yeah, you turned me on to that trivia, and that was great. Uh, I, I turned I, you on, Dead Man. <laughs> you did, Dead Man. <laughs> me on, Dead Man. Um, play that backwards. See if it comes out number nine. 
Dude, John's saying, I am the dead man. I am the dead man. Look who's a Jew. This is the most Jewish show we've ever done. Look who's a Jew. What? Brian Epstein's like, what? Has, is there a Beatles Klezmer band? What do you think my retirement career is going to be? Because <laughs> that would be fun with those beats, those upbeats, and the minor, <laughs> put everything in a minor key. Oh, you're, you're daring me to fire that keyboard up. Thank you, lost your love. <laughs> you know she loves Jews. Dude, this is its oh, own yeah. parody album. Yeah, yeah, you got to play drums on it and co-produce it. <laughs> Please, yeah. Yeah, the 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 Shlomo Beatles or something. We'll figure it out. We'll figure out a more you're, clever. You're not allowed to say that. I know, right? I, I can't. Am. <laughs> so I got to be careful. I got to <laughs> The Jewish Beatles with a Catholic drummer. <laughs> it almost makes sense. Almost makes sense. And I'm not Catholic anymore. So anyway. Uh... <laughs> well, hold on, hold on, hold on. Stop the tape. I want to talk to you about religion, boss. <laughs> Are you going to save me, TJ? No, I just want to hear you uh, incriminate yourself. I'm not going to save you. I'm from the improv world. You get your own back. Yeah. Yeah. Take care of yourself before you take care of your partner. That's what I taught. That's it right. is true. That's what I taught. That's that's why we both love the annoyance. Yeah. Although that's, that's still rooted in taking care of your partner. It still is rooted in... By taking care of yourself, you are taking care of your partner. That was the theory. Right. Yeah, this is yeah. We're doing some improv here. Improv <laughs> talk. We just lost everyone in the UK. And <laughs> there goes Finland. Can you imagine if we if we grow a base on this on this podcast, but it's not for the Beatles stuff. It's the weird improv in Chicago references. <laughs> yeah, it probably is right so now. So if if I could say yes and to Rose Records, I would. <laughs> 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 so let's let let's keep moving because we have to me the meat of this record is coming up um and it's the three segments where Phil Spector who I'm guessing is messed up yeah they're all messed is, up here is is talking in John's headphones to an even more drunk or stone John Lennon and it's I this was my favorite thing the first time I heard this box set in 98 it is wild completely agree with you I would always put some of these things on mixes on tapes yeah uh, yeah, there's three segments. They're just called Phil and John 1, 2, and 3. The, I think the first one is the best one. Oh, it's so great. That's the one that's got tweeting birds in it. What's with the birds in the... <laughs> <laughs> tweeting! Yeah, so they, they're working on the rock and roll record, and to put it in context, and it's just... Everyone sounds like they're drunk or on some kind of drug, whatever it is, cocaine, probably both. And... You know, they're just trying to get through these rock and roll numbers, these standards, but they're just so fucked up they can't even get it together. And mm-hmm. and Phil Spector, who's also fucked up on his own unique trip that has a tinge of violence in it, is is trying to get them to, to get it together as well. But he doesn't have it together. And so there, it sounds like there's like 20 percussionists in there all banging on little things. And someone's someone's got like some bird toy or something and they're putting it up right on the mic. A, a bird toy <laughs> like a kazoo. It just it's it's like a, it's like a children's show. Whistles. Uh huh. It's it's the yeah. strangest thing. So much. Here we go. What? What? We're doing one. How's it going? Same way. How's it go? Yeah, yeah. It's your show. Let's go. I can't read this writing, you know. What is that tweeting bird out there from? God, sick. This bird's goddamn it out there. Hey, 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 hey,
got some birds over. Yeah. Take it. Remember the solo. That's the bit where I don't talk. Oh, oh. Too bad. No, hey Barry, give me a clue, will you? Well, I told you, let Barry. Shut up, you fucking. But after all... All right, one of the greatest sessions of all time, history's in the making, Jan Wenner is here with his brother Jan, and here we go. One, two, three. One, two, three, four. No, you yell four, wait Phil, a minute. Phil, Phil. You can't yell four over his playing. Please accept my four, it's the only way I can come in. It's through fault. One. Oh, come on, you don't have to come in. He'll do the intro. Da -da -dun 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 -dun. No wonder Ronnie. Okay. <laughs> All right. It doesn't, doesn't matter if it's too loud. You shouted the burn from the horns in the background. Fucking <laughs> horns and birds and seagulls. What? Shit. These whistles. You know what that sounds like? A tape delay? Phil. Yeah, I hear it twice as long. Phil. It's our big chant at A&M, now let's not fuck it. Wow! Oh, Herbie did. And this is stuff you can't even find on YouTube. Uh, I don't think I can needle drop this into our show, because it's, uh, so you have to find, they're, they're fun. They're funny and hilarious. You hear Lennon screaming, screaming at the top of his lungs to Phil Spector, shut up! Oh, shut up, it's great. <laughs> He's almost, he was a precursor for Biden <laughs> at the debate, which is I love. Yeah, man. I absolutely love it. Uh, uh, one of the other things about these three Phil and John segments is they what they're rehearsing, their run-through is the closer for the rock and roll album, a Lloyd Price tune that's one of my favorites uh, called Just Because. Yeah. And hearing the band, doom, 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 and and John's going, I got a message <laughs> yeah. for you. Yeah. yeah. I love every bit of it. It's so and good. It's, and then Phil gives that weird, like, no, you don't come in at the end. You come in on the, but, but, but if you sing and you play, like Phil's giving the weird, like instructions. That yeah. You can tell John no, just four. can't You can't comprehend. say four. Like they've just started the take <laughs> and his, he is so loud in their cans. You hear the talk back, click on the talk back. He is so loud. And at one point I think on the track, he's like, everybody suddenly grabs their headphones when I talk. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's. There's also a really spooky moment in there too. In the third, the third one, it gets dark, and there. I'm gonna be a, a guru. That line. Yeah. I'm gonna be an eighty. I'm yeah. gonna be a ninety-year-old guru. Yeah. And then, and then, and, and you see the dark side of Lennon too, where he's like, "Phil, be careful. I'm gonna write your history." Yeah. <laughs> and then what does Phil say? You, I write hits. You write history. <laughs> Phil's got some weird, yeah. dumb comeback line yeah. to that. Yeah, you say. But you and Elton John are the same. You have the same name, but he puts it in the back. You put it in the front. <laughs> it's, it's so crazy. And right after that, John is about to say on tape that Elton John is gay, and then pulls back from it. Listen to Phil and John three very closely because yeah. he's about to talk about Elton John being gay. And then he just laughs and backs off it. He says El Elton's going to die young and I'm going to be a 90 year old guru. So it's, it's, it's sad, it's scary. It's spooky. Yeah. But that, those things are my favorite thing on disc three, the Phil and John things. I think they're my, uh, as opposed to the Phil and Don, 
Like, <laughs> all right. Welcome to Paul McCartney, the game show. Name every name and let him in. Uh, uh, Uncle Ernie. <laughs> Fuck. Uh, uh, Martin aunt, Luther. Uh, the aunt that's <laughs> in the other song. Auntie Jin. Andy Jin. Uh, but yeah, they, I, I would go as far as saying that for, in many respects, the Phil and John segments are the centerpiece of this entire set. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think it would be worth it. I love it. I really do think it would be worth the set just for those things. I wonder if it's still in print. I mean, you obviously get on eBay and stuff, but no, it's out I, of I'm, print. Can't wow. get it. I'm not surprised. So maybe one pressing in 98. I'm pretty sure never on cassette, certainly never on vinyl. And when we wrap, we can get to my issues with this thing not on vinyl. But let's keep plowing through the rest of um, disc three. There's a weird, just a weird thing that I think is an extension of the uh, the Phil and John bits. It's almost Phil and John four. Just yes. John close up in a microphone saying, when in doubt, fuck it. And that's it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yep. That's the little. The tag on that. Yes, you actually it's, do. That's a bonus. It's right. That 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 that's the dog whistle from Sergeant Pepper. <laughs> the, <laughs> yeah, not, the, not the racist. There's no racist dog whistle in no, Sergeant the, Pepper. The kilo tone, whatever they call that. <laughs> but then yeah, you get you still you get more rock and roll after that. He goes into Be My Baby. Right? We, yeah, which is one of my least favorite covers because he spaces it out so it's way more spaced out than the original Ronettes version. It actually has always driven me a little crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'll just go on record saying that the rock and roll record is not my, it might be my, it's my least favorite John Lennon record. So, so that's that. When this is over, I'm going to trans, I mean, our friendship. <laughs> when, 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 when the podcast is over, I'm going to send you the, uh, the remix of this. Cause you'll hear it. It, it. it really, I'd heard this on vinyl cassette, eight track. I'd heard this on every possible format. Then in 05 or whenever the hell it came out, I'm no one to be wrong, but I think it's 05 when that CD came out and I got it at the Virgin mega store on, um, Michigan Avenue. Oh, right. Which was kind of like Michigan Avenue's tower records. There was a five, six year span where if, if I had business or a gig, a second city gig or something, one of the hotels, man, you could browse that Virgin mega store for, I mean, three hours. It Where was, was like, that? I don't recall that. And I worked I worked down. I was a messenger back then. It's like, why wasn't I in there? This is right in your messaging days. This would yeah. have been um, uh, late 90s through mid, I think, till 04, 05. Uh, maybe Where in Michigan? Like, like Ontario or what? It was Michigan and Ohio okay. on the... Uh, hold, let me get this right. On the southwest corner of the street, okay. Michigan and Ohio. It's ringing a bell now. It's ringing yeah. a bell now. I, I just am surprised I don't remember going in there that much. I remember going into the Jazz Record Mart, you know, just oh, on oh, Wabash, I'm, just down the way. Well, walking by there a couple of years ago and seeing Jazz Record Mart close just killed me. Yeah. That was, yeah. A brow- that was a browse for two hours place. And they had a ton of stuff too, by the way. They had, you know, my musical theater thing. They had these great cast albums in great shape for like a dollar fifty. Yeah. I remember when I when I got my uh, turntable, my wife got me for my 40th a nice turntable and I went there and kind of treated myself and I left with like 10 Broadway cast albums for like, <laughs> I don't know, eight bucks. It felt great. So we'll save that for our Broadway podcast. Tony <laughs> breaks down Anything Goes. And so speaking of Anything Goes, one of the most fascinating tracks on this whole album that I also think should have closed the disc to your point about you thinking uh, the running order was rough on disc two, uh, strangers room, which became, I'm losing you. Yep. This was another one that when I heard it, I was like, Oh, Whoa, it just blew me away. So again, they skip ahead to 1980 
Yeah. A lot of, uh, they at least do it once per disc and this is the time they do it on disc three. Um, and I agree. I think it should, it should close disc three because it would actually be the perfect segue into <laughs> disc four, which is mostly 79 and 80. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's like you said, it's an early version of, uh, losing you, which is great. It's just cool. And then comes another kind of plotting pretty, but don't really need to hear it a lot. John Lennon <laughs> song, old dirt road. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And that's, that's disc three. So then we do, we get into disc four. It's called Dakota. So that is of course the, uh, apartment complex that they lived in, in New York city, uh, which is where uh, Rosemary's baby was also filmed. That's right. Yeah. So it's a storied structure and, by all means. And it's haunted. I mean, everyone says that the Dakota is a, lo- a fair fair amount of celebrities live there. Right. People will tell you that, that the Dakota is haunted. Yeah. If you believe in that kind of thing, sure. Why not? Right. Do you believe in ghosts? Do you believe no. in magic when a young girl farts? <laughs> <laughs> but a parody of mine since 88. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't. I don't. I, uh, last summer, I went uh, to West Virginia to one of those uh, haunted, uh, used to be an ins- insane asylum. And, uh, you know, and, they, and that's what they're selling you. There's, they, they throw a beach ball around the room and, you know, clearly they put a little water in it or something, you know, and it's like, oh, look at the way it's wobbling and moving. Oh, my God. <laughs> and you're sitting there in this room for 15 minutes staring at a beach ball, you know, supposedly, oh, the, the ghosts, the little girl lives in this room and she plays with the beach ball it's like not my it's not because i'm you know if you believe in it uh, good for you man great keep living me too well if you believe in forever life's just a one night stand and there's a rock and roll heaven they got a hell of a band i don't know what that reference is but it's a bad <laughs> 70s song um i will tell you a little bit into my crazy mind about the dakota since uh fourth grade so i would have been uh what was i then and i was just about 10 we used to, uh, our best friends from Chicago, my mother's best friends moved to Long Island in like 83 or so. And for about six, seven years, we'd go visit New York either every Thanksgiving or every spring break from then until now. And I've had a show in New York. Yes, I'm bragging. I made $15. Congratulations. Oh, congratulations. Um, <laughs> after taxes, it was nine fifty. And uh, Ooh, you can get yourself a Tad's steak. Right. <laughs> <laughs> or or a tad of steak. <laughs> there you go, man. Uh, so, <laughs> so I have been going to the spot where John Lennon was killed since I was ten years old wow. and sobbing. Yeah. It is every t- every time I'm in New York, Strawberry Field. Uh, Strawberry Fields just you you, you just uh, cross Central Park West and go into the park, but the actual entryway where John was killed. Oh. Yeah. I will stand there and sob. And it's it's weirdly, I've told my therapist this, it is like my meditation. I will just go there. I don't care if there's wow. a blizzard or a rainstorm. I go to where he was killed and there's no marker. There's, I mean, obviously Strawberry Fields is just across the street in, in Central Park. Yeah. But there's no like, this is the historical site where no, it just... No. And it, it yeah. is it 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 just even thinking about it right now, I, I've got chills. It it absolutely destroys me the way he was killed, where he was killed, and um, it's like a religious. And I'm not a religious guy, but that's a religious thing for me. I just wanted to throw that out there. No, I you know I did the same thing. I've I, I've only been there once, but um, yeah, I went to Strawberry Field, and then I did cross the street uh, and went to the Dakota and saw. Yeah, it's kind of that garagey area. Yeah. And yeah, and I didn't linger because I felt weird. I was like, uh, am I just being a weirdo? And uh, but I, f- 
so I don't believe in ghosts, but I, yeah, I do get a feeling, you know, I, I, I do get a feeling from being in places of significance such as that one. And I just remember feeling very <laughs> not at ease when I was around there. Yeah. And uh, I, I get that. I feel that every time and I'm always doing one of two things, whether on a tape walk man or a disc man or a mini displayer or now or an I or an iPod. And now my iPhone, I will always put on, uh, you know, I'll put on in my life or I'll put on across the universe, mm. not the worldwide, not the world <laughs> wildlife fun version. I don't need to hear it sped up. The only Beatles songs I want to hear sped up are don't pass me by. <laughs> And she's, she's leaving, leaving home. home. I knew it. Bye bye, indeed. Um, but or, or sometimes I'll put on. There's a place. I mean, there's just different John Lennon oh, songs. That's fun. That's a there, fun one. There, there's there's different John Lennon songs that resonate for different reasons. And being in that spot, if you've never been and you love the Beatles, I, I it's weird. But more than Liverpool, more than more than mm. Abbey Road in London. Going to the Dakotas where you get the soul of it because it was from that moment on that the Beatles could be no more. Yeah. Right. Right, right. Well, let's get into it. Yeah, it, the dream is over. Yeah, let's, let's do let's do disc four, which is another great part of this uh, this set. Well, it starts off with a version of "I'm Losing You" that actually features Cheap Trick playing. Yeah, it is the definitive version of the song from Double Fantasy, and there's an interesting backstory here where uh, the producer uh, Jack Douglas of uh, Double Fantasy. Uh, I believe had worked with Cheap Trick and brought them in just to to play that track with John. John, I guess, played it for Jack Douglas. Jack Douglas said that sounds like a song. Now, Cheap Trick had had massive hits by the by nineteen eighty. I was right? going to say right. Yeah, I, th- I think Budokan is seventy eight or thereabouts. They were a massive band, and they tear it up. This is one of the best readings of any solo John Lennon song, with John Lennon wailing on the lead, and that Cheap Trick is a backing band. Cheap Trick, huge Beatles nerds. Of course. You Cheap can hear Trick it. are, you can totally hear it. Pride of Rockford, other than the <laughs> Clock Tower, and I think they have a Hardee's. <laughs> <laughs> they had a they had a media play for a while. My college roommate lived was in Rockford, and uh, they had a media play. Oh, you you know who my college roommate was for a year. Uh, you do you know the band Explosions in the Sky? Yeah, they man. seem like some of the you might dig. Uh, their, their drummer Chris Rasky was my uh, roommate in college, oh. and he's like constantly he's like one of the sweetest people I've ever met in my life. He's a, he's a good guy. We're, we're only like Facebook in touch now, but he was a big part of my life for a couple of years and just a sweet guy. But when I, and super talented drummer even then, but when I went to visit him, we went to media play, which was like the new, do you, have, do you know what this is? Media no. play was like the, the new fangled Sam Goody owned three stores in one video store, bookstore, record store. Oh, there It was another place you could browse <laughs> for like days. Yeah, yeah. It was like Amazon before Amazon. It was in that it also killed every other small business <laughs> exactly. that uh, that was in its way. Uh so at any rate, Yoko uh thought, you know, Yoko being very defensive of uh for John, uh thought the cheap trick were these hangers on trying to make a name off playing with John Lennon. And it was Yoko who convinced John to veto the cheap trick version and re-record it with the members of the band that made up double fantasy. It's a great, it's a crack band. It's a good band, but when you, it's the double fantasy version of I'm losing you is absolutely flaccid compared to this cheap trick version. That's now the standard version of it. I think. Yeah, man. I mean, it's the difference between a rock band and session players, 
you know, session players come yeah. in, they hit their marks, they're professional, but a rock band, you know, is it's different. They live with each other. You know what I mean? So you get a different sound. You get a sound that's just more in the veins, you know? You say you're not getting enough, but I remind you of all that bad stuff. So what the hell am I supposed to do? Just put a band-aid on it and stop the bleeding now. Stop the bleeding now. It's, it is one of the, if you had, and they did do a one disc album called Once Upon a Time with a W uh, that actually didn't sell that many copies. I think at the time EMI thought, well, the big ones for the nerds and the Once Upon a Time is for the casual fans and nobody bought it because the nerds bought the box and the casual fans were like, what is this weird CD with a weird spelling and <laughs> John's artwork on it? Um, I remember seeing it all the time in the stores. Now you don't see it at all. Yeah. And uh, there is this is also one of the first uh, CD sets that switched from the jewel boxes to the paper cases, by the way. I yeah, the DigiPack. Well. It's a great package. Yeah. In the 90s, I loved the DigiPack stuff. That to me was a sign of like, oh, I love this band. <laughs> yeah. And progress. Right. Um, so at any rate, yeah, I would definitely uh, uh, pick up this version of I'm Losing You. It's absolutely worth it. If you were to pull one or two of the best songs from this, that'd be one of them. For sure. Uh, then Sean Lennon comes into the picture. Uh, it's a brief moment of John and Sean at home with Sean, uh, learning a little help from your friends or singing it, I should say. Right. John can't even remember what this, what the title of the song is. It's such a sweet moment. Yeah. Which makes sense. Like it, cause it, it is, a, it's a wordy ass title. So, you know, it's not like help or something like that. You're like, what are they, what is the <laughs> right. name of this song with a little <laughs> help from my friends, you know? Should have just been called Friends. Right. It would have beat the Beach Boys to it. Uh, that's right. And it could have been the theme song to a great show of all white people. Come on, Friends. And so that's that. It's fun. It's cool. You know, I'm sure, yeah, if you have kids, you'll really like it, right? Yeah. Uh, no, no, it, it, it's very cute. And in fact, as a dad, I actually think about it in terms of, um, uh, you know, Sean is, uh, my son is four. Sean was uh, four when this was being recorded. Yeah. So yeah. that's the same age as my son. Yeah, that's who wild. has heard a lot of Beatles. He loves the song Help. His favorite Beatles-related song is Take It Away. So he's defi <laughs> definitely my son. But when, when, I, when I put on the Beatles and he wants to hear Frozen, he gets upset and says, I want to hear Frozen. I want to hear my music. And I said, Harrison... The Beatles aren't dad's music. The Beatles are everyone's music. And <laughs> Terry's always like, he doesn't care. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, well, hopefully after he'll that, get to hear that Frozen record one of these days. <laughs> oh, we Dad. listen to it a lot. Talk to my therapist. I, I, I love Frozen, actually. I'm not going to I'm not gonna bullshit that. Um, uh, well, it's followed up by uh, a song called Serve Yourself, 
Never formally recorded. This is a home demo with a ripping guitar. This is an acoustic guitar. He's just wailing on this thing. Mark ripping on guitar. Yeah, he is. It, it's it's a Bob Dylan satire, and it's mean. Oh, yeah, man. Yeah, he's got a bone to pick with Dylan. So around this time, this is when Dylan uh, put out that song, Gotta Serve Somebody. This was his gospel period where he was dabbling in Christianity, right? And I think that confused Lennon or pissed Lennon off. or Anyway, he had opinions about it for a while because he, he gets on Dylan's ass on disc four. Mm-hmm. Well, that's great, and he's the only one. You see, he's just found butter, and he's sitting on his ass in the sun. You see, he found Mohammed kneeling and on a bloody carpet facing the east. You see, he found Krishna with a bald head dancing in the street. Well, Christ, lie, you're going out, you're bleeding kid. you got to save yourself. Ain't nobody going to do it for you. That's right, lie, you better get that straight to your fucking head you got to save yourself, you know that better. Who the hell else is going to do it for you? It ain't me, kid, I tell you that. Well, you may believe in Jesus, and you may believe in Marx, and you may believe in Marx and Spencer's, and you may believe in bloody Woolworths, but there's something missing in this whole bloody stew. And it's your mother! Yeah, it's fast, it's funny, it's really crass. Uh, you get to see, like, I feel like the Liverpool in John comes out a lot in this uh yeah. Oh, yeah. It's totally that kind of Scouse Liverpool kind of biting, mm-hmm. biting sound. And it's interesting. You talked about him strumming the acoustic. You know what it makes me think of? It was just a couple years later this album came out, but it sounds like John doing a violent femme song. Is, <laughs> yeah, man. Is what I, I mean, obviously, minus the bass and drums, but it just kind of sounds like it's that kind of first violent femmes album spirit to it. Yeah, it's it's cool. Yeah, there's definitely like a punk vibe going on because the the bpms are pretty pretty high for especially for lennon especially at this time (laughs) there's like everything's pretty mid-tempo you know around this era and uh this is not it also ends like when he hits those those final that final chord that he just strums the shit out of like an ending it's insane i it's wild it's totally in the red i love it he's playing angry yeah, it's cool. It's cool to see him yeah. see that fire again. It, it wasn't lost. He didn't lose his fire, man. No. And you know who didn't start the fire is Billy Joel. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm going I'm to tell you something. The next track, I think you know where I'm going. The next track is a ripping cover, Mark Rippin again, uh, of Billy Joel's My Life, hashtag the theme to Bosom Buddies. Yeah, that's so strange that Lennon covered the No, this is. <laughs> this, is a, this is one that I don't think was released anywhere else. Well, to me, it sounds like an early version of Starting Over. It's the same chord progression, right? With the same lyrical kind of theme as Grow Old With Me. It feels like a spiritual cousin to both of those songs. Yeah. Wow. I, I cut up on that, too. Yeah, there's that augmented chord stuff that he's messing around with. Yeah. Um, I like it. I think it's great. Uh, yeah, and again, it's yeah, it's him on a guitar, 1980, home recording. It's cool. I love. I just love hearing him at home playing his guitar. It makes me happy. Yeah, especially knowing that these were among his last days. Yeah, man. Uh, then we go into a, a, an outtake for his uh, the song he wrote for Ringo that Ringo was never able to record or chose not to record because Lennon's version sufficed. Uh, I'm t- talking about Nobody Told Me. Which was the hit, the posthumous hit from the Milk and Honey album. Yeah. 
That's one of the first current John Lennon songs I remember like hearing on the radio. I think the first current song I remember. Yeah. Like like B96 at the time would play Nobody <laughs> Told Me when Are they were serious? top 40. Wow. Yeah. Uh, B96 back in the day used to be, I think, purely top 40. Um, right, right. But it's one of those songs. Killer B. It's, it's the Killer B, Eddie and Jobo. <laughs> I love how Eddie and Jobo are like playing the police to play in like Adina Howard and being and being like believable. <laughs> yeah, man. You know, it's so I used ridiculous. to hate B90 sucks, I used to call it. <laughs> Dude, make the shirt. Um, yeah, I, the the song is unfinished. I mean, you can hear in the break that John was going to do the da 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 He was going to do something with it at some point. But even with those unfinished breaks, it's one of my favorite John Lennon songs. It was a huge hit in 1984. Yeah. It is just one of the great late period John Lennon tunes. Yeah, it's a great song. It would have been cool to hear uh, Ringo do it, though, too. Has he ever done it? Would he ever do it on his, like, all-star band things? Do you know anything about that? I, I To my uh, my knowledge, which is too deep of the all-star band, uh, <laughs> hashtag Sheila E. The only band you get Sheila E., Super Tramps, Roger Hodson, Howard Jones, and the guy from Emerson Lake and Paul. Like, Ringo, what are you doing? <laughs> Here's Lucky Man right after um, the glamorous life. Um, so, yeah, I don't believe he's ever done Nobody Told Me. I, there's got to be a demo of it somewhere, right? I would think. It is a mouthful. Have you ever tried singing this song? I can never get the chorus right. The Nobody told me that there'd be, be days like these. I can never say that correctly because I always say, like, be there these die. <laughs> there's... <laughs> so, uh, strange days indeed i mean yeah the, the yeah. lyrics are kind of a mouthful um but it but it's another diary song right it's kind of a cousin to ballad of john and yoko in new york city hmm. you know they just that way, yeah. uh, you know it's it's kind of talking about their life you know there's mat there's matches in the bathroom just below the stair you know it's like a, it's like a life diary song and the chorus, the hook is so great. You feel how inspired he was. A lot of the songs that wound up on Milk and Honey, uh, you could tell the direction he was going in. Double Fantasy is a good album, but he was still getting his feet wet after five years and not doing it. Yeah. Now that he had it under his belt, he was writing some even better stuff. It's just part of the. I'm going to sob before we're done doing this. Let's keep moving. <laughs> uh, we got a home demo then with Life Begins at 40 uh, again. And this is, uh, this is fun because he's got his rhythm box now. And he's got it set to like a country and western swing, which is just like a bass drum and a snare drum. And uh, he starts crooning like a country. It's just like it's like him doing a like a, a Hank Williams or a you know one of those Bakersfield songs. We'd like to welcome you here to the Dakota Country Western Club. I like this morning. The singular little ditty that occurred to me in the throes of my sleep. It's called Life Begins at Four. I wonder if John watched the Dukes of Hazard. 
<laughs> Yoko, Yoko, uh, sorry, it's such an honor to meet you. There's something all Beatle fans have wondered. I mean, you married one of the geniuses in the history of, of pop culture, in the history of the world. Yoko, did John watch the Dukes of Hazzard? <laughs> Yeah, so Life Begins at 40, written for Ringo, it's, what do you think? I like it. It's fun. It's 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 cool. It's different. There's nothing else anywhere on this four-disc thing that sounds like that, so I'll take it. I've never really heard Lennon do straight-on country music. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, what are his hints at it? Like, um, I'm a loser, but even that didn't feel like a country parody. That felt no. country-influenced. Yeah, the closest thing is like Ringo stuff with Act Naturally and... What goes on, you know? Yeah. But that that's, again, more like pop. Uh, there's, a, there's, there's pop in that. Uh, uh, then we get into what I call sitcom. Do you want anything more on that? Uh, no, I was actually going to get to I Don't Want to Face It, the next track on here that wound up on the Milk and Honey album. Yeah, yeah. This gets into this. So this, this to me, is one of those songs that sounds like it could be uh, in a sitcom, like the theme of a sitcom, you know? I. <laughs> Oh no! I can hear it now. <laughs> You're right, and I love There's this song. There's a few of them. I love it too. So I love it. Just on record, I love it. Yeah. I mean, and again, this is the era when uh, Billy Joel's "My Life" was a sitcom uh, theme, and uh, yeah, you had these songs like the Laverne and Shirley song was a on the radio. You know, like yeah, these TV themes were like hit songs, and this could have this could have been like a you know like Joni loves Chachi or something. <laughs> Oh, no, which had an episode with Beatlemania's Mitch Weissman being a Paul lookalike. That's right. I'm from England, you know. No. <laughs> we love the English. You know, if I wasn't an Italian from Chicago, I'd be English myself. <laughs> I like this song. I think it's great. Uh, it's on Milk and Honey, right? Yeah, this is on Milk and Honey. Yeah. So it's just another outtake version of it like before. Yeah, it's fun. It's fun to hear him. It's a great one. So the next couple songs, in fact, the next uh, few are from Double Fantasy. And Double Fantasy is such a nice album. And these songs sound great in this version. The rhythm box comes back for woman, which is neat. Yeah, yeah. I think I mentioned it on our John Lennon um, favorites episode. But this is one of my favorite things he ever did. Uh, this original version of the song Woman uh, with him on a guitar and that rhythm box, it almost brings me to tears every time. Uh, again, it makes me wish that Rick Rubin had gotten around to, <laughs> uh, I don't know. It's not Rick Rubin's fault. You know what I mean? I wish John Lennon would have lived to see the Rick Rubin era. I would have loved to have heard, honestly, I would have loved to have heard an, an album's worth of John Lennon with an acoustic guitar and a cheap eighties rhythm box. Like I would love that. I wonder if there's more of those demos that are out there. I know, right? Clean them up. Hey, Jeff Lynn, don't add anything. Just clean them up. Put them out. Jeff Lynn's like, I don't know how to not add anything. I got <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And, yeah. And 15 <laughs> guitars. I do love Jeff Lynn. I do too. Uh, it, he helped make Cloud Nine so perfectly 1987. <laughs> 
Yeah, it's almost as if you can hear the monster truck Bigfoot in the in the room. <laughs> it's almost like you're listening with Webster after the fire. <laughs> Not after the fire, who's saying Der Commissar? <laughs> we already went through this. Webster did Webster have a fire too? Or because it was the Sandy Duncan thing had the fire. Yeah, well, Hogan Valley did, but Webster had a fire, and that's when they moved from a brownstone to an apartment building, or vice versa. No, it, it was the condo. Their condo caught fire, and then they moved to a house, and Webster's house was down the block from where I grew up, so one of the fun things in my neighborhood was, like, showing friends from camp that, like, that's Webster's house. Oh, fuck the 80s. Oh, that is so funny. So, okay, I I didn't, I first of all, I forgot that Webster was Chicago-based. I always thought it was New York. So Webster was Chicago. Yeah, and his house was on state uh ju- state parkway just south of burton okay burton that's like 14 ish hundred yeah it's like right around 1500 yeah 1400. yeah yeah okay <laughs> that's funny man talk more Beatles, you idiots people are like you t- i'm wasting my life listening to you talk about a street i'm never going to go to back to the dakota if you go bring the lotion kleenex <laughs> So, yeah, so what what you love that version of woman, dear Yoko to me, which is next doesn't sound different enough from this from the studio version to care. Yeah, but it's a lovely song. Again, I, I would also file it under the sitcom category. And then, yeah, and then a home demo of another of my favorites is watching the wheels. Love this song. Again, it's one that gets me in the heart. Yeah, it's an emotion evoker. Yeah. Uh, no, no question. And I am right there with you. This is one of my very favorites in the album, too. One of my favorites in its released form. That piano and the production are so haunting, especially given what occurred after the album was released when John was killed. But this acoustic version, uh, this to me was as revelatory. I'm going to say it again, damn it. <laughs> as the first time I heard acoustic while my guitar gently weeps on the anthology. Now, I'd heard bootlegs of that probably five, six years before the anthology came out. I was aware it existed, but there was something about hearing it in the context of an authorized Beatles album. I know it sounds weird, but remastered and cleaned up on that Beatles anthology three, the acoustic version of a song you would never think of as acoustic felt like another definitive version. This to me is the watch what watching the wheels did to that song, the acoustic version on disc four of Lennon anthology. It is a standard in its own right. People say I'm lazy Dreaming my life away Well, they give me all kinds of advice Designed to enlighten me Tell them that I'm doing fine Watching the shadows on the wall don't you miss the big time boy you no longer on the ball I'm just sitting here making the wheels go round and round And rock the watch them roll No longer riding on the merry-go-round I just have to let it go I think it's another reason to pick up uh, this set if you can find it. Uh, I think we mentioned it last week. We both agree that the discs one and four are our favorites. Yeah. Uh, and this is one of the reasons why is, uh, yeah, home guitar version of Watching the Wheels. Uh, 
I'm really overdoing it with the whole sitcom thing, but to me, stepping out, the next song is the definitive John Lennon sitcom song. It is with some definitively bad John Lennon lyrics. <laughs> oh, I love these lyrics. Hit, hit, hit me with some. If it don't feel right, don't do it. <laughs> Leave a message on the phone and tell them to screw yeah. it. Now, screw uh, uh, it. After all said none, you can't go pleasing everyone. Okay, you're right. It's fucking great. <laughs> I'm not going to die on that hill. It's great. I love the song. One, two, three, four. Woke up this morning. To me, the, the lyrics, they're, they're goofy and they're not, they're not profound in any way, but they speak mm-hmm. to, here's this dude who's been cooped up for basically like four years, like being daddy and baking yeah. bread, so to speak. I mean, who knows what was really going on, but he was kind of out of the game and now he's like ready to step out into the game again. And it's this like funny mm-hmm. like game show kind of music that's like, uh, something really round about the sound, like everything sounds kind of round and like uh, mild, and like n- nothing on this song can hurt you. It's you know, it's like an ouchless <laughs> song <laughs> with no, no Ruddles reference intended when we say an, an ouchless song. Um, yeah, so that's that's another one. Uh, the next one, Borrowed Time, is one that always kind of haunted me. He wrote it in Bermuda. It's got that real kind of Caribbean feel to it. Yeah, he does like a reggae. It's like acoustic reggae. I think he even has like a, a little reggae intro with some talking going on. He does, which may be offensive. I'm not sure, but it's where John's vaguely talking, quote unquote, Caribbean. It's also a callback to Phil and John because you hear birds chirping. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. It's one of those things. Yeah. He talks in like a Rasta accent and it's 1980. And if you want, if it, and now it's 2020. And so if you are looking to get offended, put that song on and knock yourself out. Yeah, it's not that that's, bad. That's though. One, it's not that bad. He's not like, it's, yeah, it's not that bad. He, he sang a song we referred to in the last episode. I think he can get away with, right. With, uh, this one. So yeah, that's, it's a gorgeous song. And he was at the time living on borrowed time. Yeah, man. Unbeknownst to anybody. That's where it always gets me. And now the next song is a Rishikesh song. I love it whenever the song has the word song in it. Mm -hmm. Uh, Another guitar demo. I like this one. And uh, it sounds like, is he, 
is this a tribute to George? Is he making fun of George? Is it a playful thing? There's a George vibe about this song. Yeah, I think it's he had an, one of the most unforgivable omissions not on this is a track he recorded right around the same time called India India that was never officially released until the Lennon CDs were remastered in 2010, I think. Right, I think it's on. You can find that on that uh, signature box, I think, which it which yes, that's is streaming, so you can you can hear hear that. Yeah, it's like the bonus disc on the signature box, um, and I think that was a time where he was just kind of reminiscing about his time with the Maharishi. I think Rishi Kesh is more kind of like a Maharishi parody than a George Harrison parody. Okay. I like the song itself as a song. I think it's, it's it's sweet. It's quite pleasant. Yeah, yeah. I would have liked to. Have, oh, I, I mean, I like these home versions, but I wonder what a studio version would have sounded like. Yeah. Um, there's another vignette with Sean, simply called "Loud." It's it's beautiful. Yeah. It's it's, it's again. It, it's it's I, maybe it's a dad thing, but it, it's it's very sweet, and it's made especially sweet knowing how how brief their time together would be from that point on. Yeah. Uh, it's called loud because John Lennon's playing the guitar loud and Sean wants mm-hmm. to hear it loud. Isn't that great? It's fun. It's cool. Yeah. It's a fun moment. Uh, which then it makes sense. Now then goes into uh, an outtake from Double Fantasy of Beautiful Boy. So this is, yeah, like a less produced version of the song. It's Go ahead. Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, 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 no. I was happily listening to that. It is less produced and even the rhythm slightly different on the piano at the beginning. It's on the on the release track. It's doom 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 doom, and on this one, it's doom do 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 do. It's just different enough. He's just kind of finding the groove in the pocket of the song, working it out, which is so neat because it's the genius of John Lennon, right? That even in this simple song, he had to syncopate the intro to be just right in the finished product. It's this is a good glimpse into his mind for a song that was written. I, I sing this to my son since for four years multiple times a week. He uh, oh, wow. That's uh cool. he calls he he calls it the the monster song. Oh oh interesting the, the monster's gone he's on the run and your daddy's here and that's what sticks with him yeah. which I always think so interesting. Um, because his dad's a monster. <laughs> I don't care how old you are, do your homework. Daddy dearest. Uh, <laughs> exactly. Um, no, but so the, I, I love the song before I was a dad. Being a dad now, this is one that if I need to cry, I will put on. And this version specifically. And it's really interesting, though, then, too, that the following song is another kind of song for Sean called Mr. Hyde's Gone. And this is a piano demo. And that 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 also puts me in the mind of like a, a monster, you know, uh, th- this is one I'd never heard. I mean, I'm, again, I'm sure it was on lost Lennon tapes or something, but I just hadn't heard it. This is one I heard for the first time when the set came out. And it's just, a, it's a cool song. It's kind of a jaunty music hall song about domesticity. Yeah. 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 It's cool. Uh, then inexplicably we go into a, a version of that song. Only you, this is a guide vocal for Ringo. It has kind of a stand by me feel to it, the John Lennon stand by me. And then I guess, yeah, Nielsen's singing backup vocals on this. So, yeah, which is pretty cool. And this is another one from the Good Night Vienna sessions on disc. Uh, th- was Good Night Vienna on disc two or three? It's on disc three. Two. Oh, it is on disc two. Yeah, you're right. So it's it's from the same sessions as uh, Good Night Vienna. So it's got a lot of the, that same band. And uh, it's a cool tune that Ringo wound up singing on that album. 
And I think it was big enough of a hit to be on his Blast From Your Past compilation the, or that early Ringo Greatest Hits album. Is that right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Not my favorite, but it's on here. I don't know. I think you have to like this song, which I don't. <laughs> Fuck you, platters, platters, coasters. Right. All those soul bands named after things you buy at like the Target kitchen aisle. Right. Pla- platters, coasters, ladies and gentlemen, the cups, the doilies, <laughs> the, 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 doily. the napkin rings, <laughs> napkin, 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 napkin rings. Oh, use a napkin because you face it. Um, uh, there is uh, the next song here I mentioned about the Wall My Guitar Gently Reaps uh, uh, anthology comp with Watching the Wheels. When you think about the finished Wall My Guitar Gently Weeps from the Love soundtrack that George Martin scored, the equivalent oh, yeah. is Grow Old With Me, which George Martin also scored, obviously, posthumously for uh, Yo- at Yoko's behest. Yoko reached out to George Martin while putting this set together. Because this is the same version that's on the Milk and Honey album that closes it, only this version has uh, the strings added by George Martin. I was wondering, like, was this going to be the third song on Anthology 3 that the Threedles were going to finish? or not, not this one. There was a yeah. song called Now and Then that they started working on that I don't think I've heard uh, that uh, it was George was like, now enough of this. Because George, you know, in Free as a Bird, George got to take a verse and get a solo. Yeah. And or a, a bridge and a solo. I'm sorry, you music nerds out there. <laughs> Real love. They'd be able to just a backing band. And apparently once George said to Paul during this, like, why are we recording John's shitty song? Like these are <laughs> these are like mediocre John songs. And even Paul was like, what's wrong with the bloody Beatles? Shut up. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> White album should have been three albums. <laughs> three LPs. <laughs> right. The, the, the other side left blank for, what do they say? This side intentionally left blank. Yeah, right. When you get like those one-sided promo records. Yeah, I think uh, Pavement's Wowie Zowie was a three-sided record. That's pretty cool. Uh, uh, yeah. Ben Fold's Rock in the Suburbs, the original vinyl pressing, was a three-sider. Which I never yeah, understood. that's funny. N- never understood it. Yeah, it's like they should do something with that one side. Like, do something with it, you know? Why, why not put an episode of uh, Silver Spoons on it? <laughs> well, the thing about Silver Spoons, it was one of those shows you didn't need to see to get. It was almost like an old radio play. <laughs> yeah, I could see the Dragon's Lair uh, arcade game in the background in my head, you know, in the train. Riding around on the, on the train yeah. in his living room. Joel Higgins. <laughs> Bet you a thousand dollars Ricky Schroeder's character is voting for Donald Trump in 2020. <laughs> so this version of Grow Along With Me is the one that kind of, I think, catapulted this into wedding standard. This got some play. This was on um, that Once Upon a Time album. It's been on successive John Lennon Greatest Hits albums. This is the standard that John never knew that he had written when he was alive. But it is, to me, of a caliber, and I mean this, of Imagine, of Watching the Wheels, uh, in terms of his great solo love songs. i 
The next one is one of my favorites. This is a standout for me. Uh, there's no date given to when this was done. I'm going to assume it was around this time, but it's called Dear John. It's just him on a guitar. Judd Hirsch on NBC. <laughs> Remember that? <laughs> is it it, yeah, uh, there was a show. Right. Dear John was the name of that show based on a Dear John letter. Yeah, Judd Hirsch. Good stuff. Good stuff. Sorry okay. to throw you off. It's <laughs> worth it. No, but uh, <laughs> I like that it's worth it. Um, no, I love this song. This is a song actually, like I, I said earlier in this podcast, I seemed maybe I had some toot about it, but I seem to not believe in ghosts or spirituality or anything like that. But that said, this song to me was kind of almost a prayer uh, in that it's John Lennon singing to himself saying, dear John, it's going to be all right. You know, it's the game's over. You won. And yeah. there's, but I use this song or it comes into my head, I should say, probably without me trying, you know, whenever things get rough or whatever and in life, like we all have ups and downs in our lives and you have a shitty day and oh, God damn it, you're not sure if you're going to make it this month with money mm -hmm. or whatever the fuck yeah. it's going to be. And yeah. Um, yeah, this is a song that it's just, it's a calming voice. Dear John. Again, this being, I believe, one of the last songs he ever put to tape, you can hear, if you really want to get weird, you can, it's almost as if he knows that his days are numbered. Yeah. And it's, uh, you know, uh, the notion of, I think we talked about this last week, that Yoko kind of urged John to go to Bermuda right. Uh, right around the time of his death. And John was like, I want to know, I want to stay here and be here with, with you and Sean. Um it's almost like he living on borrowed time. This song, Dear John, celebrating a step. I'm stepping out, whether it's about taking a walk or just about returning to life, however you want to interpret it. Nobody told me there'd be days like these. He was ruminating on a level that's almost seemed too deep to be coincidental. Yeah, it is eerie. It's it's chilling. Yeah, yeah. But I love this song. And again, I think it's another... Great reason to pick up this set if you can. Uh, it's the last time I'll use the word revelatory. Trust me, with the satires coming up, it's the last time I <laughs> use that word. It is. It is one that I remember leaving me. I bought this at the Merritt Island Mall uh, when I was working on the Disney cruise at uh, whatever their Sun, not Suncoast, whatever. Like, oh, right. not Musicland, but I forgot may, about maybe that. Sam Good, Sam Goody's the word I'm looking for at the Sam Goody at the Merritt <laughs> Island Mall. And in fact, the week before, I was I I had them put a copy aside for me. I might have prepaid for it. Nice, because I was like me thinking <laughs> right. everyone's because I was used to like going to Tower at midnight to get the anthologies. <laughs> right, and right. now I'm thinking like, oh, people are going to be rushing to Merritt Island to get the Lennon <laughs> anthology on CD. Uh, but yeah, I, I remember picking this thing up and listening on my cruise ship. And just uh, this was one that I was haunted by and I think probably cried. It just it's gorgeous and simple and meaningful and worth hearing. It's cool, man. Yeah. Let's wrap up these uh, something more section. We can just do a hitter and quitter in these. Uh, these are like bits and jokes. What do you think of the great walk? <laughs> Uh, it, it's what it is. It, yeah, it's, you know, it's so he's doing comedy here. This is like a comedy thing. He's got sound yeah, effects. Vaguely, yeah. yeah, it's vaguely comedy. Yeah. 
Uh, yeah, it's a it's a bit about. It seems like it's like a, a a poke at religion or something. He's a guy that kind of renounces everything. That's kind of the bit. It's it's mm-hmm. fine. Yeah, you know, I think he was better suited as a. Doesn't who cares what I think, but yeah, his guitar. I don't know. It's all right. I never listened to it. <laughs> <laughs> right. There's there's no need. This is when you hear once you go. Oh, okay. Uh, Mucho Mungo kind of sounds like a Harry Nielsen tune. Yeah. There's kind of a, I like this a feel to it there. In the very cool. beginning, you can hear... So this is in 1976. They go back for some reason. And you can hear Sean as like a little baby crying at the very yeah. top of it. I think it's a nice song. It's nice. Yeah, you're right. It sounds like a Nielsen, Nielsen, Nielsen rating song. Okay, then we get into these uh, satires. The, these satires, Tony, are as eviscerating... As especially towards someone like Bob Dylan, they are, they're not satires. They're eviscerations of Bob Dylan and how John felt about him in what, 79? Yeah, it was. Some yeah. of these recorded? Yeah, yeah, these were in 79. Yeah, he's, there's three of them. Oh. Uh, yeah, the first one, yeah, he's making fun of kind of that, that tour he did in the mid 70s where he was wearing makeup and stuff. Take this makeup off of me. I said, Lordy, Lordy, Lordy. Take this makeup off of me. It's bad enough on the beach, but it's worse in the sea. <laughs> I think it's a great parody. Yeah, it, it is. It, it, I, fuck, I can't explain it. It breaks my heart the way How Do You Sleep breaks my heart on Imagine. Like, it's so hard to hear him going after Paul McCartney. Yeah. I, I, maybe I'm a wimp. I'll own up to it. But it's hard to hear him go after Bob Dylan like that. It, it, it feels as much as we heard him say, I don't believe in Zimmerman nine years prior, he certainly laid the groundwork for it. But D- divesting yourself from myth is different than attacking the man. Yeah, yeah. Don't I, attack the man, kids. The man loves you. Give a cop a hug. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting <laughs> that uh, the set almost closes with these because there's, yeah, there's vitriol in there. And it's almost like, oh, is this the the last, some of the last images you want to leave us with? Is this, but he's also having fun. He's poking fun. He's using his art to voice his, uh, I guess his temporary disdain for, you know, someone that, you know, they had a funny little, they had a funny relationship. There was kind of a, it seemed like it was a rivalry, but then Dylan didn't kind of care about him. I don't know if you got around to probably not trying to watch that strange cab ride in mm -hmm. 1960. It's, I did rewatch it and I put a bit of it in last week's episode. It's just, it's just really weird. Uh, Like I said, that's all I could say about it. And I don't know if that's the moment that that John Lennon was, you know, disillusioned by Dylan or whatever, because Dylan was just on drugs and indecipherable. And Lennon was just kind of like, OK, <laughs> do you think it is or do you think or and or do you think it has anything to do with uh, George Harrison's closeness with uh, Bob Dylan? And then George kind of in what, 77, when I Me Mine came out, not was 
I might yeah. have gotten the year wrong. I'm so close, folks. I'm I, I I'm the Beatles historian who should not be taking edibles because I know, I'll get you within one or two years of where it's supposed to be. I'm I, I'm like hi Mark Lewishin. Hi Mark Lewishin, how are you? <laughs> I can Mark, find Mark. out when I mean mine came out. I want to say because he was he brought that up in those Playboy interviews in 1980. He was pissed off. Yeah, it was published in 1980. Okay, so it was fresh. Okay, so I, I was going to okay. say there might be something to that that Harrison autobiography coming out and not giving John his due in Lennon's mind. And it's barely an autobiography. It's like descriptions of songs and snippets. Like if George famously is the quiet Beatle in that, that own autobiography, <laughs> it, 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 it doesn't say much. Um, but uh, yeah, it, it, all, all three are, are hard to hear. Uh, I mean, I, I love Bob Dylan. I love John immeasurably more, but it's just hard. Um, and the next two are, you know, this is uh, Sean having just another beautiful conversation. Yeah, it's one of those kids' conversations about, like, where did we yeah. come from? When when did we have no house? That's the question. Yeah. It's fun. It came from the sky, in the sky. Yeah. It's beautiful. And then it closes quietly with an instrumental called It's Real that features John Lennon whistling. Whistling, yeah. And it's, I, I kind of dig it. But I also think maybe that's this is the reason why in that movie yesterday he was portrayed as this just kind of bumbling, boring fisherman with John Denver glasses on. But uh, <laughs> I'm 70 with nothing to offer. <laughs> What's wrong with you? Dumbass movie. I, I liked it till I talked to you, although I hated that scene at the time. In that scene, I, I remember I think I think I stood up. <laughs> I was like, no, no, no. Yeah. You just, Baby, did you pull an Elvis the and theater. shoot the TV out? <laughs> Dude, I get so mad about how John Lennon was portrayed. I shot at him. <laughs> Yikes. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> kind of a terrible thing Fucked to do. Fucked up yeah. irony. Uh, I, I, I like I liked this. <laughs> to be real, I, uh-huh, it, the song is called It's Real. I do mm-hmm. I do like this song. I think it. I think it's a fun way to close it out. I really think Dear John is a better closer out. Like, honestly, I, to me, this could have ended with Dear John, and I don't need to hear all the satires and stuff. It could have ended right there. Yeah. These additional things are fun, and it's a cool insight, and I really think it's very, very fans only, but they don't get many repeated listenings on my end. No, uh, you're right, and it's interesting that they're listed as something more on the CD, making them almost have the feel of quote unquote bonus tracks. Yeah. That's... They're intentionally separated from the body. The CD proper seems to end with dear John. These almost, these are listed to serve as bonus tracks, which is interesting. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. It, it says something more. You're right. So, but before we wrap, and this was amazing and doing an exhaustive deep dive on <laughs> these four exhausting. CDs that we both love so much. Thank you. For anybody who stayed with us. Thank you. Tony will send you a shirt of your choosing that he will make for you. Yeah. So I, just I got a shirt maker <laughs> over here. <laughs> He's a shirt maker. <laughs> <Pat Tigger. laughs> so uh, I, the one thing I want to say is we talk a lot about the formats of stuff. I'm, I'm a Beatle format nerd. I got everything on yeah, multiple different formats. It's this is 98. This is now 2020 um, with Hugh Downs. Uh, <laughs> All right, Pete. That, this box set hasn't been he gone. This box set hasn't been repackaged and made as a vinyl box. Uh, listen, I don't need the four hundred ninety eight dollar Red Rose Speedway box set. <laughs> I don't need that. I'm not saying I could afford a three four hundred dollar vinyl box set. I probably wait until it went down eighty percent in a decade. 
But just to walk into a store and hold in my hands an eight vinyl. Prince just had like a 13 vinyl set for, God, I forget which album. Might have been Sign of the Times. Really? Uh, the Tom Petty Wildflowers box set, the first reissue of that is like six records. Wow. There's a common thing now of overdoing vinyl box set reissues. If they're going to do it for, and again, Prince and Tom Petty are Hall of Famers, arguably first ballot Hall of Famers. I'm not dogging on them. Right. But this John Lennon box set needs to be on vinyl immediately. And even if I can't afford it, I want to look at it. <laughs> do you know what I mean by that? I do know what you mean. I mean, uh, yeah, I, I am resting my laptop on top of the Beatles mono vinyl box set you know, mm -hmm. so that you can see me better. And, <laughs> you know, I think that's what this <laughs> set could also serve as a purpose for, you know, laptop <laughs> helpers. <laughs> Good. Make sure you put hot things on your Beatles and mono box. <laughs> but at any rate, pick this up. Um, it is uh, essential John Lennon listing that is not streaming. And especially with, I mean, just having passed John Lennon, the, what would have been his 80th birthday, uh, this is a beautiful way by listening to this to kind of usher that very sad and momentous occasion in. Agreed, man. Thanks for sticking around. Uh, I think next week we are going to get into, um, is it the Ringo? Are we doing Ringo the fourth or are we still on bad boy? Uh, I'm not done with bad boy a bit. <laughs> We're going to, uh, I've lined up an interview from the dead backup singers from where did our love go? We're going to do, we're going to summon. <laughs> oh, we're going to have a, go. Oh, a Beatles seance. I love Beatles seances. And I love that. That's our first choice. <laughs> in, yeah. In the Beatles, please, first choice. Beatles seance is the backup singers <laughs> from Ringo's bad boy record. <laughs> okay. You can, M M Mark Lewison, uh, TJ Shanoff here, uh, untold Beatles Pegasus. If uh, in the Beatles history, if you could interview anybody, would it be John Lennon or the dead backup singer from where did I like She's not dead. Oh, right. But when she dies, <laughs> no, we'll wait. We'll wait. <laughs> I'll wait. Van Halen. Untitled Beatles podcast. Like and subscribe. 